Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. McDaniel will end it in style. Arkansas is in hog heaven. They've won the first ever national championship. Still missing your free throws, Wes? Who cares? They don't show free throws in Sports Center. Here's Washington. On the drive. I don't know if he'll make any change, but I figure it's time for me to start playing ball. And they do it in stunning fashion over the number two team in the country. Fact is, I missed this shot. I walk away. I'm still a chump. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. It's worth celebrating just the idea that the competition in the quarterback room is going to be so much better during uh, the fall practice and once you get into the season. I think we're going to have uh, a lot of a uh, lot to talk about now that Nick Starkle has decided that Arkansas is the place for him. And it only took a day or so after his visit to Fayetteville. Uh, he spurns Florida State, says, no, thank you. I've seen what I need to see. And uh, now you got another quarterback who has uh, a big arm, the ability to drop passes in, a guy that set the Texas A&M record for passing yards in a bowl game, and somebody that uh, has two years of eligibility um, so really, look at last season. Look at a 2-10 and ten team, a team that had no offensive line to speak of at the start of camp. I mean, you only had eight players there in the, uh, in the offensive line room, so to speak, when camp began, and uh, the depth just not there, not at that position, and it was obvious that the depth wasn't there at the quarterback position. When you look at where Ty and Cole Kelly have transferred away to lower-level programs, places they'll be able to start and make an impact, but now you got two quarterbacks that are coming in with either knowledge of the Chad Morris, Joe Craddock system or and success at the level that you're already playing at. And I know Nick Starkle hasn't necessarily played a ton in the SEC, but 11 games for Texas A&M, completing, uh, completing 61% of his passes, and a guy that without the broken ankle in 2017 might have continued on the trajectory that he had been on. So it's worth celebrating if you're an Arkansas football fan. Also worth celebrating if you're a talk show host, Ty Richardson, because now you got a real competition at quarterback, and you had the sense going into this offseason uh, that, I don't know if, if competition would be the proper word with Connor Nolan coming back as a redshirt freshman and K.J. Jefferson coming in as a true freshman, both of them uh, much less experienced than Ben Hicks, in two ways less experienced than the Chad Morris offense and just on the football field. But now you've got what seems to be a real quarterback competition, and I think that that's only going to lead to better quarterback play. Simply because I think you got better quarterbacks in the room more than anything else than the two that where it started most of the games last year. So uh, hey, I mean, we talked about it during the show yesterday. Uh, there were there were thoughts that Nick Starkle would be making the decision very very soon, and sure enough, he did make that decision sooner than a lot of people expected. Certainly, a lot sooner than Florida State expected. Yeah, he told me, Danny West, and a few other Arkansas recruiting people that he was going to commit to Arkansas, but he didn't want to keep it off the record until he could kind of reveal it to how how the Arkansas fan base and his family how he wanted to. So I kind of respected that and Danny and others did as well so I you knew mean you held out you held out I told just a you I told yeah, you I know. Uh, but I mean you that's, did tell me but he didn't he didn't tell the listeners because you can't do that yeah. I mean you can't you just can't do that if a kid says off the record with anything like that you stick to his wishes and you don't report on it that's part that's of that's the real 
That's the real journalism that you that's and I the talk real, about. That's the real journalism that supposedly you and I went to school for. So that was one of those scenes where I knew he was going to commit, couldn't touch on it, and now we're getting to today. And it's, it's going to be fun because now it seems like, like think about where you were with the quarterback situation during the season, midseason with Cole Kelly and Ty Story. It is not even in remotely the same atmosphere that you are right now with Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle. Now, Starkle's got SEC play in his background. He's faced SEC competition. Ben Hicks has Chad Morris's offense already in his head. He's already been in the system. This is going to be a really fun dynamic that we'll get to play with all spring. Who's going to get the starting job? And you can even toss K.J. Jefferson when he gets here in the summer and Connor Nolan into the mix. And so our halftime poll question is exactly that. Who starts the season at QB for Arkansas? in 2019 and this is not one of those easy answers because Ben Hicks has been from what we've seen taking most of the first team reps he looks like the premier quarterback on campus at the moment but when Nikki Sparkles gets here I think that changes and I don't know enough about both of these guys you can only watch so much film you can only watch so or you can only look at so many of the stats and I'm not going to pretend like I, I, I'm trying to think of a film a really good like Lewis Riddick or someone that just looks at film extensively. I've watched a few highlights. That's about the limit, the ceiling of my uh, expertise when it comes to these guys and look at their stats. But this is going to be really fun and kind of the dynamic that is following this, and I know you're going to want to touch on this, what does it do for Connor Nolan? How much did this change his career trajectory with Arkansas football moving forward? Well, the fact that that Starkle has has two years of eligibility mm-hmm. instead of the one that most graduate transfers have, uh, that I think that leads to uh, the question of of yeah, where where does Connor fit into the plans now for football moving forward? Of course, he will have two years of eligibility left in football once Starkle has completed his eligibility. But then, as we talked about, I think last week, if things are going according to plan for baseball for Connor Nolan then he should be gone at the end of his junior year. That's when you usually get drafted and when you've got most of or all of your leverage to uh, to make most of the money that you possibly can as a draftee. So I think we can safely say, though, moving into this next season, into the 2019 season, that uh, while, while Connor will be part of the competition at quarterback, and, I mean, who knows how it's going to go, uh, it's probably not a job that he will be in. It's, he's not going to be a starting quarterback this year. Uh not to say that moving forward he wouldn't be, but probably not this year. And really, if things go according, I think, to Chad Morris's plan, to Joe Craddock's plan, then once the eligibility is exhausted by Starkle and Hicks, you move on to K.J. Jefferson. Unless Jefferson, or somebody who's a four-star athlete, just wows them, nobody would think that he's going to be playing much, if at all, as a true freshman. And you get a chance to redshirt him for another year, I think you're going to do that. Uh, but after that... He's the guy, I think, moving forward in the next, not this year, but in the two or three years after that, that probably carries the program forward. But that that's the way future. Let's talk about the near future, in which right now in spring practice, Ben Hicks is getting most of the first team reps, and will, for, for the rest of spring practice. Starkle isn't supposed to arrive on campus until the summertime after he's completed his studies at Texas A&M. So then the real competition begins in August. So, I mean, Hicks, Hicks has a leg up. He's got a leg up in a couple of areas. One, the knowledge of the offense. And I don't think you can 
I don't think you can um, you can overstate the knowledge of the offense and what that means. And it's not to say that Starkle can't be a quick study. Uh, he's graduating from what it seems to be early with a couple of years of eligibility. So he comes off as a fairly intelligent kid and might be able to pick up on those intricacies. Uh, so, but but Hicks will have the leg up with his teammates around him, the knowledge of the receivers that have, that are already here right now. Uh, but but yeah, I mean the competition really begins once Starkle arrives on campus and things get going about six weeks before the football season starts in uh, late July and early August. So and he, the other thing about Starkle too, he's already won a competition to be a starting quarterback in the SEC. He did it his first year, or his second year at Texas A&M, beating Kellen Mond out for the job. Of course, he did break the ankle, so uh, after that he only played in four games, and that's why he ends up transferring. Uh, So I think the fact that he's already won a competition once uh, against a good SEC quarterback in Kellen Mond, that's got to stand for something. He's got arm strength. He's been accurate. uh, And, hey, that's, boy, those are the two things that you you were lacking so much, arm strength and accuracy for the quarterbacks that were here last year. Uh, You're going to have a rebuilt offensive line. Things are looking pretty good for the Arkansas offense. I mean, it is way too early to make any predictions as to how much better they'll be than last year. But Early estimation throwout. Yeah, early estimation. The depth is there. The depth is there to take a big step forward, not just a little step forward, but a big step forward offensively. And maybe, just maybe, we'll learn a lot more about the Chad Morris offense other than the 30% of the playbook that was implemented last season. Here's the perception I'm getting from Arkansas fans early on in this process that Nick Starkle heading to Arkansas, they think he's just going to get the job. And they're kind of centralizing that based on the fact that he's played in the SEC. We have to remember he did Hold his starting job in 2017, fractured his ankle, came back, and then played a couple more games. But he also lost out to Kellen Mond in 2018 under Jimbo Fisher. Now, I know they had to change offenses. There's probably a lot of stuff that went into that. But I don't think this job is Nick Starkle's to lose. This is going to be a very interesting close competition. These are both three-star kids out of Texas. It's not like one's a four-star world-class athlete. They both looked have looked good at times, and they looked bad at times. But I don't think this is one of those competitions, Phil, where Nick Starkle's just going to walk in and get the job. Like, Kelly Bryant is walking into Missouri and getting the job. Justin Fields is walking into Ohio State, getting that job. Jalen Hurts is walking into Oklahoma, getting that job. You don't those are s- different. That's a different level of athlete than you're talking about. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's true. Plus, how, how, many other, how many other programs are bringing in two graduate transfer quarterback yeah never heard of that honestly and it it more it does tell you where you were before Mm -hmm. that that you knew chad morris was looking for not just a little more depth but a lot more depth and they've got it now so you got six scholarships in the 2019 roster qb when you include kj jefferson coming in the summer and andrew hutchinson had a great stat that he put out 88 percent more game stats to start the season than 2018 88 percent so you're getting experience. Not only are you getting guys that have been through, but you're getting the experience that Starkle and Hicks have played in. Now, again, Hicks played in the American Athletic, which is not near the caliber of the SEC competition he might face this year. Starkle's been in the SEC. He's played at Texas A&M. So I'm going to be really curious to see how much these guys can grasp. A play. Obviously, Hicks, as you mentioned, has a leg up. But I'm curious to how quick Starkle adapts to the playbook that Chad Morris has. Because this is not exactly an easy offense to learn, but 
the the Phil, the fact that he has the experience and he's played in the SEC will help him progress a lot quicker than I think Connor Nolan, KJ Jefferson, John Stephen Jones, and Jack Lindsay. Because at this point, Phil, I could be wrong on your assumption on who's basically battling out for the 2019 starting quarterback. But I think it's just down to Starkle and Hicks. I don't consider Connor Nolan, at least for this season, and again, we haven't seen a lot of spring practice, we haven't seen what Connor Nolan's been been able to do once he gets back into football. We really haven't seen anything that K.J. Jefferson's done. But I think it's a, a two-quarterback race at this point. Yeah, I think what do you you're think? right, too. And I, I agree. I completely agree. I think that it comes down to those two. I think after this next season, it might come down to Starkle and K.J. Jefferson with maybe Nolan mixed in there. But the, I don't know. The, the way that things are progressing right now, I don't remember Nolan was, was, was recruited initially by Brett Bielema mm-hmm. uh, and had already committed here. And also the way that, that Chad Morris talks about Connor Nolan in a baseball sense makes me think, and I think makes others think, that perhaps the coaching staff for football views Connor in more of a baseball sense right now, although they will include him in all of their plans and all of the practice for spring. So, again, that's part of part of this discussion, which we knew would be fascinating about Connor Nolan, but we didn't know that there would be another SEC-caliber quarterback mixed in there to to make it even more fascinating. You know what else is really interesting, too? Starkle initially, when he announced he was transferring out of Texas A&M, was looking to replace Hicks at SMU. But but Shane Bouchelle, mm-hmm. who leaves Texas, beat him to the punch, and the two of them were very good friends. Maybe they still are, but Starkle had been quoted that he was uh, he was a little bit hurt by the idea that uh, the, the coaching staff at SMU reached out to him but ends up signing Bouchelle, and it just seemed like Bouchelle pulled the trigger earlier, and he also, you know, he could also be there at spring practice earlier. Uh, so... Uh, you know, I mean, Hicks is taking the step up in competition. Bouchelle is taking the step down in competition. Starkle was looking to do the same thing that Bouchelle was doing. But now he's taking, uh, I mean, it's really more of a, you're playing the same teams you would have played uh, outside of, I mean, I know Texas A&M, don't they have South Carolina, don't they have Clemson uh, coming up in this next season? So it's not like Arkansas has got the non-conference schedule that Texas A&M has. No one will ever, well, no one will ever uh, confuse Western Kentucky and San Jose State and Colorado State with the defending national champs. But once you get into the SEC play, you'll be playing the exact same teams you would have played to begin with. So uh, I think that's got to stand uh, for something. Plus, now you've got, I mean, I don't know how people feel about this because now they're all Arkansas Razorbacks, but uh, you got an A&M feel to, to uh, some things over at Arkansas now. I mean, you got uh, John Chavis, who was the D.C., of course, uh, at A&M. There's Ron Cooper, who would have been assistant coach. Rakeem Boyd, he played at A&M briefly. That's really, and that's the connection that Starkle had to Arkansas more than anything else was Rakeem Boyd. The two of them are, are, are seem to be very, very tight. And I, I, I uh, who knows? But th- there's always, there's always, some, if there's familiarity on the roster and somebody that you say is my boy and he's there and you know that if you're the guy taking the snaps, more often than not, if you're turning to your side and ready to hand it off to somebody, it's someone you already trust, someone you already have a relationship yep. with in Rakeem Boyd. That's got to stand for something. So, I mean, I know the coaches do the recruiting. Hey, we saw with the incoming recruiting class, and we're seeing with Rakeem Boyd now, players do as much recruiting as the coaches do. 
and it's usually done through social media and through text messages. And I think Rakeem Boyd deserves a, probably a pat on the back for at least getting Starko to campus and then letting campus take it from there. Phil, you mentioned Rakeem Boyd. How about this? John Chavis, Ron Cooper, Nick Starkle, Rakeem Boyd, and now Larry McDonald, who's the head recruiter now for Arkansas, all former Texas A&M Aggies and now Razorbacks. So you have five former players or coaches on the Texas A&M Aggies that are now Razorbacks, which is kind of an interesting dynamic to think about, especially heading into this 2019 season. You haven't beat Texas A&M since 2012, Phil. How fitting would it be to end the losing streak with a former Texas A&M quarterback leading you to your first victory? How about that? Think about that. Think about the vindication you could have as an Arkansas fan walking out of Jerry World, smiling for the first time, saying, we finally beat those guys with a former Texas A&M quarterback. I don't know if there's a better feeling that Arkansas fans get get this year, outside of being Alabama, than having that happen, than having Nick Starkle, and they'll take Ben Hicks beating them too, let's be honest, but having sure. Nick Starkle beat Texas A&M in Dallas, I almost said Dallas Cowboys Stadium, in Jerry World in AT&T Stadium. Yeah, and I'd also say, if you looked at, and we'll have Billy Lucci on later, he's the uh, owner and uh, executive editor of Tex Ags, uh, which you'll find on Twitter and a great website that really dives deep into Texas A&M athletics. Uh, they had, uh, that their Twitter account had asked a question about Aggies fans' feelings of Nick Starkle transferring to Arkansas. And almost, I'd say, 80 to 90% of the replies were positive about Starkle yeah. unless, we, you know, they say they'll root for him except for the one game that they play against Arkansas, and that's it. So, that, I mean, that says a lot. When you're when you're transferring inside your own, the same division, inside the same division, and every, almost to a man or to a woman, like 80, 90% of them still had positive things to say about him, that says a lot about the kid that you're getting here now. I'll give you a baseball reference. Do you think any Boston Red Sox fan cheered for Johnny Damon when he went to the Yankees, even after they broke the curse with him and he was a major part of that? Do you think any Red Sox fan cheered for Johnny Damon when he went to the Yankees? I don't think that many Nick Starkle jerseys are being burned today yeah. <laughs> in in uh, College Station. And, you know, I don't know if they do if they do the. Uh, if they do the, the, the bonfire anymore. Uh, but I don't think they're tossing Starkle's jersey no. on top of the bonfire. And it's it's kind of a hard comparison because obviously the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox is one of the greatest rivalries in all of sports. And Arkansas and Texas A&M is almost a debated rivalry where Arkansas fans feel like it's a rivalry and Texas A&M doesn't. But it's just the idea that many Texas A&M fans are kind of sad to see him go, but happy for him and hoping... Wishing him well. It's kind of like what you've seen with Alabama fans and Jalen Hurts. Like, I haven't seen, if any, Alabama fans criticize Jalen Hurts for what he was able to do and moving on to Oklahoma. My stepmom, who's a diehard Alabama fan, is actually going to go to Oklahoma and Baylor play when they play, I believe, in Norman later this year. Dad's a Baylor alum. Stepmom's a huge Alabama fan. And she will be wearing Oklahoma stuff in favor of Jalen Hurts. And I feel like maybe... That's kind of the dynamic. I know Starkle hasn't done the same thing for A&M that Hurts did for Alabama, but it's kind of the same mindset from fans where we're really sad to see you go. We hope you succeed unless you play our team. 
That also says a lot about how he left, you know, how he handled yeah. the situation. He was uh, pretty classy about it, didn't trash anybody on the way out. It's obviously just looking for playing time now, and it, it wasn't going to happen there at Texas A&M. And it might happen. It very well could happen at the University of Arkansas. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Phil Elson PXP and at Ty Sports Radio. Beard ahead to Gaffers. How about a windmill? Let's put a little exclamation point on it. The Hogs are moving on. For Nikki, obviously the big news. Nick Starkle joining Arkansas. He'll be here in the summertime. Uh, it's an upgrade. You got an upgrade in the uh, in the quarterback room, no doubt. If you were looking at how things were going last year at this time and what things will be like once you get into August, serious upgrade. And more than anything, the competition is going to be really fascinating, don't you think? Yeah, I'm really excited for a real quarterback competition this year. It's it's this time. It's going to be you know which one is really the best instead of which one can help us the best, I guess, is is what I would say for last year's group. Uh, And I think that Ben Hicks definitely has the leg up right now, given that he is here for spring ball. He has the time to establish chemistry with his receivers much earlier. Um, He already knows the playbook, of course, and he'll uh, get all that memory back from when he was playing with them a year ago. Um, So, it's just going to be very exciting to see if, if Starkle can come in and maybe steal the starting spot away from him and at what point that might happen. It's going to be an ongoing storyline the entire season. Yeah, and it'll be interesting once we actually get to watch them up close and just you know get a look at the, the, the tools that they bring physically. Uh, and you know you mentioned some of the some of the reasons that Ben Hicks may have the leg up being a guy who's already on campus, chemistry with the teammates that are there. Uh, he's got more uh, more playing time in college football games than Starkle does, albeit not in the SEC. But but do you think that the biggest reason why he might have the leg up is the knowledge of the playbook? Because we've, we've had the sense that the, the playbook and the offense for Coach Morris and Joe Craddock is so intricate that, uh, that somebody who's played in that system for a couple of years should have a noticeable leg up. Is that the biggest reason why? I think so. Because we look at, you know, we, we subscribe to Pro Football Focus, so we get all their, their their game grades and stuff. And if you look at just pure numbers, they, they're they pretty similar uh, in the in the games that they've played. But, of course, yeah, Starkle has played in the SEC, and Ben Hicks' grades against uh, the, the Power 5 teams that he's played haven't been very good, but his overall knowledge of the playbook does give him a leg up. He just thinks quicker. You can tell that if you, if you've watched him play, you can tell that he's pretty good at uh, thinking on the go and, and uh, trying to make things work when when the first couple options break down. Uh, so I, I think that he'll he'll start this season. I'm, I feel confident in saying that already. Uh, I, and I know there's a lot of factors, but I just feel like he'll be the one that the coaches feel the most confident with when the season starts. Nikki Chavanel, Rivals.com, our guest here on Halftime. Nikki, how big of a deal is it that Chandler Morris was invited to the Elite 11 down in Oregon? Well, 
I've I've known it for a while because I've been watching Chandler Morris since before he even you know started at Highland Park. He was always very accurate. I don't think there was any way they were going to play him over John Stephen Jones while he was still at Highland Park. But he's a really really accurate passer, and I saw something that Mike said the other day that you really that's just something that isn't usually going to get a whole lot better. So if you're already very accurate. You can work on the other stuff, but that's something that's um, critical and definitely in, I mean, you want an accurate guy in any offense. You don't want a lot of picks, and he's he's just, you know, the, the coach's son. He knows the offense, and uh, I think he's got leadership ability already. It's going to be interesting to see how Arkansas handles that situation, but for him to get that national recognition – is big for fans to finally understand that he is not just the coach's son, but that he really has legit talent and he's probably buy into him now because he's probably going to be here. Nikki, correct me if I'm wrong, but Arkansas has five open scholarships remaining. Yeah, they okay. have five open scholarships. And that's crazy because, you know, towards the end of the season, we were wondering how are they even going to get this full class in, and now they have extra spots which they can either roll over or give to upper-class walk-ons. So a lot of options, and they're obviously still exploring the transfer portal as well. So, Nikki, on that, what's the biggest need, in your opinion? Yeah, I would say linebacker. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I think it was John Chavis. He tweeted out a picture from the linebacker's dinner. Uh, a little while ago, maybe last week, before practice started. And if you look at the room, you can just tell they're not going to be able to compete with uh, the Alabamas of the world. So they really need to add a couple guys with experience, hopefully at least one. Um, there's there's a guy from Troy that was an all-conference guy uh, for two seasons who is in the transfer portal, so I'm hoping they go after him. He has you know, followed me back and everything. So that's usually a good sign. And I even tweeted out, you know, the scholarship distribution. I said that they have so many spots left and he liked that. So I think that's a good sign. Um, but I still think they should try to get one more if they can, uh, because I just, you don't want to put too much on the starters. That was a big problem last season and they were just too tired and couldn't give it their all in, their, in the fourth quarter. Nikki, it's a big weekend, right? I mean, you got a lot of kids coming on for visits. Uh, March 9th, uh, big, a lot, a lot of it. I mean, how many kids are coming in? And uh, it specifically looks like you got a ton of running backs coming in for visiting, including some of the best in the state, just to our west in Oklahoma. Yeah, so I have a list of about 50 players already, um, at least. 40 of them are 2020 recruits, and there's a ton of running backs and wide receivers coming, and it. I honestly don't even know how I'm going to handle all of this because Hutch has a baseball, and there's also a basketball game, and there's 50 recruits coming, but I'm excited to see what happens. I'm just going to kind of, you know, stay by the phone and, and see what I hear about these kids. I think there's a good chance uh, a couple of them maybe pull the trigger on their visit and maybe a few more announce maybe later on after going home and thinking about it with their parents. But 
Um, with this many coming all at the same time, uh, it is going to be tough to get that individual attention on certain players to try to get them to, you know, uh, commit on the spot. But this whole experience is kind of a preview of their official visit, and official visits is where Arkansas does really well um, closing the deal. So hopefully this is just uh, step one and maybe, you know, a final step for a couple guys. 50 just sounds like a lot. I mean, is this is this normal? Is this, is this usually the kind of... Uh the kind of visit list that a big program has second week of spring practice, or is is this more than usual? I would say in general this is more than usual, but I think most major programs will have will try to have one to two really big days where they bring in a ton of guys. Because the more guys you have come in, there's like, you know, this, this hype and pressure, um, and people will want to lock in their spots. Um, but for Arkansas – I don't think they would have been able to do two big weekends like this just because it's hard to get a lot of these kids to show up. And, you know, I would say maybe 10 of these guys uh, between now and Saturday say, oh, I can't make it, don't have a ride, whatever. Um, but but having one weekend like this is really huge for them because once they get on campus, their preconceived notions of what Fayetteville is and what this university is really change. It's Tuesday. Nikki Chavanel is our guest here on Halftime Rivals and Hogbeat. You can find her at work there. Nikki, how important was filling the Larry McDonald's role in the recruiting department prior to this weekend? How important was that for Chad Morris interacting with these guys this weekend? Well, they have, you know, a lot of guys that know what they're doing in the recruiting department. So it wasn't too big of a deal to continue the search for as long as it went on but with all these guys coming in this weekend it's important to have someone um, coordinating all of that and uh, because you want to get to know these guys uh, you need to get someone in there to meet them all before they leave and you need to have that relationship to set up official visits and stuff Uh, but this guy Larry McDonald he comes from A&M and A&M recruits a ton of the same players that Arkansas is after especially in Texas of course so I, I thought I thought that was a great hire for them. Uh, they went after a couple other people in the SEC, and I think any one of them would have been good hires. So it is Mardi Gras today, Nikki. I don't know if you have any celebratory plans later on, but what is more acceptable? Which day is it more acceptable to get the most drunk? St. Patrick's Day, Mardi Gras, or the night before Thanksgiving? <laughs> night before Thanksgiving? What even is that? Have you never heard of that? No, I guess not. I guess not. Well, that's just everyone comes back in town. You see high school friends you haven't seen. In oh, it's, re- right. it's reunion day. Yeah. That's what, what do you, it is. What do you call it, Phil? That stuff. What do you call it, I think it, it's reu- reunion day. Yeah. <laughs> I avoid that stuff, but I would say St. Patrick's Day is a great drinking day. Okay. Especially if there's good weather. I think it's thanks. I think it's the night before Thanksgiving because See, what Phil. do you have to do? What it's it's all about. What do you have to do the next day? St. Patrick's Day is on a Sunday. Mardi Gras on a Tuesday. Theoretically, we've got to go to work the next day. You know, the day before Thanksgiving, you don't have anything to do the next day except sit there, eat, watch football, and slobber on yourself because you're so hungover. That's what that's what I it guess is to that's me. That's true. I just don't really celebrate on Sunday. I usually do Saturday. You know, people kind of just mentally switch it over. That is true. That is true. And I'll say this: there's people. There's a lot of people that I don't want to see 
on the day before Thanksgiving, I usually end up seeing them regardless. And so I feel like I need an extra added incentive to at least talk <laughs> to them. And that kind of that kind of helps it out a little bit, Phil. That's true. Nikki, why don't you do the reunion thing? What is it? What is it about the high school friends that you don't want to see? I, I believe me, I get it. you're not the only one. I miss my high school friends, but then I'm 24 years removed from them. So why not you? It's not that I don't love my friends from high school, but I'm terrible at keeping up with people. So when whenever I see people that I haven't seen in a long time, it's like this whole like, oh my god, where have you been? I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not that I don't care about you. It's just I am really bad at phone calls and and that kind of stuff. And whenever people ask me what I've been up to, I'm just like, oh, you know, working. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it also becomes the same conversation over and over again with those reunions. Yeah, that's and true. Then it gets a little bit old, and then and then you've had too much to uh, to imbibe, and then the next thing you know, you say something that might embarrass yourself. But that's tied. That's probably not. <laughs> yeah, that's just me. That's just my life experiences, Nikki. <laughs> Nikki, it's a pleasure to do this with you, as always. Enjoy the weekend. Good luck keeping track of the 50 players. I think you're going to need a new yellow pad, uh, and we'll talk about it next week. Thanks, guys. See ya. Subscribe to Hit That Line on iTunes. You're listening to the Halftime Pod. Blood running through Daryl Macon's veins. The Razorbacks win it 71-70. to I was going to say, I usually do the show inside the hotel, but they want to charge some moolah to do the show inside the hotel, so I was going to tell the Greenville what? Marriott, get off my lawn, Greenville Marriott. Um, Did you hear me? I said, get off my lawn now. Figure something out. Perhaps I could be of some assistance. You're on Facebook, huh? Well, I've been trying to figure it out. I joined about 10 minutes ago. Well, better late than never. Get off my lawn. Yeah, Greenville Marriott wants to charge me. All these other places I've been doing the show on the road, Ty. Everywhere I've been doing it. I mean, where have I done it from? I'm not going to kick myself out of my own apartment. Everywhere. The apartment I'm in right now, Baumwalker Stadium, Mizzou Arena, hotels in, all across the SEC, my parents' house. My parents didn't charge rent to do the show there. Um, and the Greenville Marriott thinks they can make a quick smackaroo off ESPN Arkansas. Can not going to happen. Not paying them a not paying them a red cent. Can I ask what they were trying to charge? Well, initially they wanted to charge two hundred and twelve dollars to use the conference room. What? Like, like on, per day? Break here. Yes, give me a break. <laughs> like, give give me a give me just a small break for trying to use this for two and a half hours. Set up, broadcast, and get it down. So then they said, Well, you know, we'll just we'll just charge you for the Ethernet port, fifty bucks. You know what? Uh, I'll find another place to do it, which may end up just being the Arkansas uh, meeting room, uh, because I don't think they're going to charge the. They're not going to charge the team that's paying for however many rooms we're staying in in the Greenville Marriott uh, to uh, to use the Ethernet port. Right, look, I understand capitalist society. You make money where you can make money, but don't be the outlier. Don't be don't be the jack. Don't be the jackass. You know the one that has to be the outlier. Just work with us just a little bit. All right, let's get to get off my lawn. My first one, hey, Patrick Beverly had something to say to reporters after the ball game yesterday when his Clippers defeated the L.A. Lakers, which is happening a lot these days. Uh, it seems that the Clippers are definitely Los Angeles' team this year, and that's because the Clippers are in seventh place and look like they've got a playoff uh, a playoff. Uh, Spot locked up with 18 games to go. Unless they collapse, the Lakers have already collapsed. And Beverly had some choice words to the reporters about the team in the other locker room at the Staples Center. 
It was it was seven people in here media day. I remember like it was yesterday. I told Shay, I say Shay, look at the room. It's, it's, it's seven people media here. Watch at the end of the year. Like I said about the us being the best team in LA. A lot of people don't believe me. It's fine. We got players trying to get through. We got players trying to get through. Women lie. Men lie. Numbers don't. He's talking about the people he's playing for, but essentially he's telling not the media, but he's telling the Lakers to get off his lawn. You gotta love Patrick Beverly's attitude. For the one thing, he's got maybe the best motor in the NBA. I don't know many people that play as hard as he does, uh, but he also has got a chip on his shoulder about LeBron James from the time that he was uh, traded to the Miami Heat after being drafted, and then the Heat dropped him after they'd signed. Uh, LeBron, and he didn't. He didn't put the. Tr- he didn't put being cut on LeBron. But we we know we know from watching these last few years that LeBron has very specific ideas about the way he wants his roster to be made up. And apparently, Patrick Beverly didn't have much to do with that. But then there's also the idea that LeBron James just doesn't really seem very interested in playing right now. I mean, you look at the stats; he's playing just fine. I mean, he's 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 averaged a double double over the last few games since he announced that he was going to be entering playoff mode. But, Ty, playoff mode means two wins and five losses since he made that announcement. And I, you probably saw this last night. LeBron James got shoved by teammate Kyle Kuzma because he yep. didn't defend an inbounds play. He just looks completely disinterested. I've seen highlights of him throwing an inbound pass off the back of the backboard. Uh, what happened yesterday with Kuzma. Uh, some of the things that he's talking. LeBron looks miserable, and I guess he should be because his Lakers stink. And part of the big reason is that he was gone for so long with an injury, but they're just no better with him back in the lineup right now. Lakers are 30 and 34, five and a half games out of the last playoff spot with 18 games remaining. And the Clippers are LA's team. So Patrick Beverly basically told the Lakers and LeBron to get off his lawn. I love that. I love that so much. Uh, I know we took over Stephen A's spot. We got to get his take on this. It matters. And here is the reason why. You go to eight straight NBA finals in an Eastern Conference that has been notoriously weaker up until this year. For many years, we've all lamented the fact that the Eastern Conference was definitely more significantly weaker than the Western Conference. And the first year you go out to the West, you lose. You don't even make the playoffs. You go from going to eight straight NBA finals to not making the playoffs. The second you go into a a, a tougher conference, particularly considering the drama that has surrounded the Lakers, I don't see how you get around that. I'm so happy you started Get Off My Lawn with this segment, Phil, because this just bridges in to what I want to talk about first. Anyone who thinks Michael Jordan would even come close to doing anything like this is an idiot. Michael Jordan would never, ever, never. Like, find me a game. Find me clips. And I know social media wasn't as polar. It wasn't existent back then. But find me stuff that happened like this. And I get it. I'm really excited for the the documentary from ESPN that's going to come out in 2020. And I'm not here to tell you that Michael was all sunshine and rainbows. I know he punched Will Perdue. I know he punched, there's another teammate he punched in the face. But I'm blanking on it. But it was competitive nature. LeBron doesn't even look like he wants to play right now, Phil. He looks completely disinterested. doesn't care. And for those who want to defend LeBron James, and again, I don't want to get into this argument, but I will say this. There is one player that can catch Michael Jordan, and it is LeBron James. The dude's focused on doing movies and his barbershop show and like that. Michael was focused on basketball, and you could throw a Space Jam in my face and stuff like that. 
He had them build a court so he could practice on set. This guy was so impacted by the outcome of games. He wanted to win at all costs. That is not what LeBron James is all about. You've seen that this year. You've seen it when he went to L.A. and he wasn't solely focused on winning, which he said he was. So for those who say, after all this has transpired with L.A. this season, that LeBron James is a better player than Michael Jordan and that does stuff like this, <laughs> get off my lawn, man. Just just get off. That's such a distasteful, terrible, moronic argument at this point after we're seeing LeBron James do his first time in arguably the most prestigious franchise in NBA history next to the Boston Celtics. And he's treating it like garbage, Phil. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not a good look. Not a good look, especially with the highlights now that are more like lowlights. And again, his numbers are good. I mean, he's, I think he's averaged over 10 assists and over 30 points since activating playoff mode. But uh, isn't it all supposed to be about wins? That's the reason that he went to Los Angeles, to create a franchise around him that would... Or he uh, said he did. But it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem that way at all. And I would say Michael Jordan never looked disinterested, ever. Nope. Uh, There wasn't a moment that you could say that his his, uh, fire to compete wasn't burning from his ears and his eyes. I think the only reason that he ended up retiring for the third time was just he got old. He got old, and the body wears down, and... And But I don't think he was disinterested, and LeBron James right now just looks very, very disinterested. Uh, all right, my second one. So you know what's going on. What is it about? There's not going to be 2 o'clock in the, in the morning Sunday because we've got this ridiculous daylight savings time thing going on. Now, here's what I think. Every minute should be daylight savings time. There's no reason to be kicking the clocks back uh, to, uh, to an hour earlier and, and, and be done with daylight savings time in October. Uh, losing an hour of sleep actually screws people up for a while. Now, it, it also now I think a lot of people believe that daylight savings time was created to help out farmers, but that's not the case at all. It's it's about saving energy, and it doesn't save energy anymore. In fact, I lived in Indiana for a couple of years in the mid '90s, and back then Indiana did not do daylight savings time. It's a state by state thing. Hawaii doesn't do it. Arizona doesn't do it, uh, and Indiana. Only some of the counties in Indiana did it for a while, which was just the most confusing thing. I mean, you're crossing county lines. You don't know what freaking time it is. But but now Indiana, in 2005, implemented daylight savings time, and they thought that it might lower energy consumption. You know what? It didn't. Energy consumption rose by 1%. It didn't do anything that they thought it would do. But here's what daylight savings time does. There are more groggy drivers. There are more car accidents. There are more... You know, angry people, there are more relationships that are broken because of people that just don't get along because they've lost an hour of sleep and they don't know how to get it back. It's an idea from the 18th century, implemented in 1918. It's 2019 for crying out loud. And it's time to get daylight savings time off my lawn and just always be daylight savings. Turn centri- turn um, standard time into daylight time and just let's let's keep the clock going without bumping it from one o'clock to three o'clock once we actually get to sunday morning so on monday when we're doing this show ty and you wake up earlier than i do we're gonna have a couple of of bitter groggy angry hosts speaking to groggy listeners across our listening audience so i would just say get this stupid daylight savings time off our lawn 
So ABC New York is reporting this. The original cast of The Sandlot is set to return for a sequel to the classic film, but it's for TV, Phil. It's going to a streaming service. Director David Mickey Evans revealed that during a podcast. It's two seasons. It's a sequel to the original movie. I think this is going to be a terrible idea. Is it just me? Like, I haven't watched The Karate Kid on YouTube. The one, and I... What's the kid's name that's the, the blonde head that no one likes? Why am I blank? Oh, Zabka. Zabka, You're talking yeah. About, yeah, Billy, Billy Z. Boy, you want to talk about somebody that, that locked onto a character and turned yeah. it into an entire career. Exactly. Billy so, Zabka. So the Karate Kid remake on YouTube was apparently like pretty decent. But there's a lot of remakes that I see, especially when they use old characters. One like Girl Meets World. Were you a Boy Meets World fan at all? I never watched it. T is giving me a, fu- a, a, a fist up in studio. Boy Meets World, really good. There's probably a lot of our listeners that grew up watching. It was a little past my time. I think it was 90s, but I watched watched some of it. Girl Meets World on Disney is awful. They have some of the old characters on it. And I just, I, I'm not a fan, Phil, when you pull characters like Full, Fuller House. You watch Fuller House, it's I awful. I, I didn't watch it. Look, Full House was difficult to watch to begin with. You didn't like adult. Full House? Look, I watched it as a kid and was entertained by it, but as an adult, it's it just wasn't the most entertaining yeah, show. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you got to think of, like, the perspective of the audience they're trying to hit and whatnot. But I just, I'm not a huge fan when movie stars and directors and people do return appearances like this. So the Sandlot sequel that's going to be a TV show, it can get off my lawn. I think it'll be interesting. It's got the possibility of being really, really bad. But, I mean, the, the idea, I think, is to take the characters from the movie, transport it 25 years into the future, which is today's year, and, and see what their lives are like now. So at this point, you know, is Benny the Jet in the Hall of Fame? Is, is Scotty Small still doing L.A. Dodgers radio broadcasts? Which, oh, by the way, they put him in the radio booth for the Dodgers without any irony in the movie. Never heard of a guy named Vin Scully, right? Are, uh, are Squints and Mandy Peppercorn still together? Um, is is the is the beast the dog? Uh, does it have? Did it have a litter of puppies? And are they as scary as the as the as the as the beast was? But he was nice this, after it when he, he come on. You've seen ex- me in a but movie. he's still scary. I mean, he's a huge a huge animal. He was one of the biggest dogs on the on the block. Uh, so I think it could be good, but it uh, it it could be really bad because sometimes these these uh, sequels that go twenty five years into the future feel a, a little bit forced. Uh, I mean, look, the the Star Wars movies that have come out in the last few years and the ones that came out in the late 90s were, were nowhere near as good as the originals. I mean, it's the same thing as the Indiana Jones movie with Shia, Shia LaBeouf. That wasn't anywhere near as good as the first three. They just can't ever be money quite grab. that good. It's money, it's money grab, uh, but also it feels like you're answering you're answering a bell that wasn't rung. Um did we? Did, was anybody really calling for a sequel of the Sandlot? The movie ended perfectly, uh, and it didn't need it didn't need a uh, didn't need a sequel. Kind of like Dazed and Confused. It doesn't need a sequel. We don't need to know what happens with them all after that. It's like Greece. Greece. We didn't need to know what happened with uh, with all of them once the movie is done. Leave it where it is. So I mean, I can agree with you, but I'll probably be watching it just because it'll help relive. You know, the, my, not the youth, but we'll just relive one of the one of my favorite baseball movies. I think it, it could be good, but I think you might be right too. Uh, my third get off my lawn goes to 
really it goes to ESPN, and I just saw this. Uh, they're hiring. It's not not ESPN hiring. The Mets have hired Jessica Mendoza to be a uh, an advisor to the baseball operations department. And I think she is fully qualified to be an advisor for the baseball ops department. But this leads to a a real conflict of interest because Jessica is also staying in the booth for ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. I mean, she's not the only one who's doing this. Alex Rodriguez, who does. Fox Broadcast is also a special advisor to the Yankees. And David Ross, who works on the ESPN telecast, is a special advisor to the Cubs. you got to pick a job when it comes to this, because when you're doing a national telecast, not a local broadcast, if you're a local broadcaster and you're working for the team at the same time, I think you're coming from the same perspective, and you can still criticize your team and work with your team at the same time. But when you're coming from a national ESPN perspective, you're supposed to be independent. Uh, and, in, and in this case, when, when you have special advisors for baseball ops departments with major league teams, there's a conflict of interest. So here, here's an example. Let's say that, that Jessica Mendoza notices uh, something about, and I saw Craig Calcaterra, who, who writes a great baseball column on NBC Sports, he points out, so what if she sees something about Jake Arrieta tipping his pitches for the Phillies? Is she going to mention this on the broadcast, or is she going to save that little bit of information for the Mets clubhouse? Uh, when when you, you've got it, there's there's. Uh, look, I understand you're an entertainer when you're doing a telecast, but at the same time, you're 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 a journalist, and you're supposed to be pointing out the things that you see. So when you're working for an independent organization like ESPN, and yes, they've got the the big business relationship with Major League Baseball. But we, these, these people have to pick a job. Pick a job. You're either a special advisor for a front office or you're a broadcaster. And I don't think it can be both. So in this case, ESPN, get off my lawn. So I know you and John Neighbors were giddy like little schoolgirls when this Game of Thrones trailer came out. I know death. He's got many faces. I look forward to seeing this one. So I'm in the production studio working on the podcast and other stuff this morning for the Morning Rush, and John comes in studio and is like, hey, did you see the new Game of Thrones trailer? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't care. And, I was like, and then you told me before the show that John texted you jokingly and said, I guess we're going to have to start co-hosting the show together once April comes around when Game of Thrones starts. Phil, get off my lawn. Game of Thrones... Don't care. All I got to say is this. What's I am so excited for Game of Thrones. I'm like Pat McAfee on a, on a Sunday telecast on Fox. I can't wait for this. It's going to be great. Six episodes, Sundays, starting April the 15th. John and I are more excited than we've been for anything, I think. So I, I can't wait to get Game of Thrones going. And it took me a few years. It took me a few seasons. I didn't watch it when it first came out. Uh, and then I binge-watched the first three seasons, and I was completely locked in. I'll say this. It takes a little bit of time to get into the story in the first season, and it can be a little bit confusing about the characters and the plot lines and the stories that go along with it. But it's a great show, uh, and I can't wait. So, Ty, you get off my lawn. You get off John's lawn, too. We can fight about this in like the Halftime Pod? Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.